Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to a Believe podcast. I'm your host, John Oystenstam. This is the Guitar Life. My special guest today has created his own style on the guitar. And now has become very influential. We're going to get a chance to talk with him today. I'm talking about Oz Noy, a very, very talented musician from Israel. Very excited about our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And uh, my first question off the top of your head Are there any other Israeli musicians that have come to America, such as yourself, to seek out a career or do business in America like you have? <laughs> many, many. Is that very, right? Oh, many, many, and very successful ones. Oh, I need to do some uh, read up on that. Many, many. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Is there yeah. is there a, re- a place where I can uh, do some research and find that out? I don't. I just Google. I don't. I don't know really. Um, if you just Google, there's so many of of us here that you know. There's really a lot in every field of music too. A lot. So I took his tip, and I went to Google famous Israeli musicians, and Gene Simmons, the bass player for Kiss, the demon from Kiss. Everybody knows who Gene Simmons is. And then Isaac Perlman. Well, if you're into classical music, I mean, come on. Everybody's heard of Isaac Perlman, violinist conductor. With just those two guys in mind, I thought that was enough. That's amazing. Yeah. How come I don't I'm know that? I'm star, you know? <laughs> uh, off the top of your head, jazz musicians that I may have heard of? Anybody? There's a lot of guys here. Like, I don't even know... Give me a generation, like like the young guys. <laughs> okay, no, you're go- that, that's it. Right there, you answered the question because it goes way back, huh? So I went online again to look up Israeli jazz pianists. Roy Asaf, David Feldman, Anat Fort, Emmett Golan, Dan Gottfried. I've heard of him. The list goes on. I mean, there's dozens of them. And then there's jazz sax sax players, uh, Annette Cohen, Eli Gor, excuse my pronunciation, Degabri, Horoslav, I can't pronounce that name, Jakovic, Oren Kaplan, 
guy, Sai, maybe that's why I didn't want to talk Israeli. I can't pronounce this stuff. Anyway, he's right. There's a list a mile long of all these jazz musicians from Israel. It's crazy. Yeah. I think, I think everybody that uh, is fascinated by your career can check that out for themselves. They can read there's a bit so of history. Many, there's so many jazz guys here. It's like, especially jazz, it's pretty. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but there's a bunch of studio guys, there's a bunch of writers, there's a bunch of everything. A lot of really good producers, really. That's fascinating. Yeah. I, sh I should know more before I talk to a guy like you. Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> did you have uh, Did you have good uh, instruction in uh, Israel? Did you have great teachers while you were living there before you came to New York? I guess that's where you're living. You're living in New York now. Yeah, I had good. I had good teachers. The teachers that are there now are way better than what I had. Well, some of the teachers that taught me are still there, but the, the thing is there's a bunch of guys that are on a much higher level as players that moved back to Israel, so they teach there. So that raised the level even more. And also now it's so easy to get in touch with anybody, so it doesn't really matter if somebody is in New York or in Israel. You right, due, due to the modern media that we have, the Internet, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. so uh, I had good teachers. If I would have been there now, I would have had... It's not better teachers. I would have had access to better players. Okay. Which at the time I didn't, so... Is you that know. what prompted you to come uh, overseas and uh, come to New York? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that okay. was one of the main reasons. Yeah, that's cool. But yeah. uh, no names of a teacher in mind that you could say uh, was helpful in your career? Maybe one or two names in, in Israel. You talk uh, in Israel general? or here, just to teach. Well, you know, I never studied when I got here. Like, I'm kind of an edu I call myself an educated street musician because I was educated in Israel, but I, I never went to a music school. You okay. know, so the only lesson I took two lessons when I'm since I moved here 24 years ago. I took one lesson with Mike Stern, and then we started to just kind of play together with good friends. And then the other lesson I took with was with Pat Martino. That's it. You know, <laughs> and enough in one lesson to practice the rest of your life. <laughs> Pretty much, but also yeah. there was so much, you know, just to, to from seeing people playing and stuff like that. Right, right. And there is, there is uh, in Israel, there's one teacher named Amos Hadani. He taught me and a couple other guys. He's a Berkeley guy. He's really good. Okay. And, uh, there was a, there was also a bass player that used to live in New York and used to. He was one of. Uh, I don't know if you know who Barry Harris is. He's a legendary piano player, jazz piano player. Barry so Harris. Had, no, yeah, I'll check him out. School of jazz that he teaches a certain way. So this bass player was his bass player for a while and also one of his kind of disciples. So he moved back to Israel and when I wanted to study jazz, he taught me the Barry Harris method. His name was uh, Emil Ram. He's a bass player. So that, that's the only two things really that I did. And I studied a little bit of classical guitar, but that didn't go anywhere. So Okay, cool. Yeah, so that's it. Really. So so when did the, uh, the bug hit you? Uh, have you got uh, relatives or have you got uh, uh, a close friend uh, that uh, really got you wanting to play music? How did, how did that come about? How did the, you know, how did your... Uh, inspiration evolve you know where'd, you, where'd um, that come from it didn't come from 
my, my parents are not musicians. My, I started to listen to the radio, I guess. I liked songs on the radio, and then I started to hit pots and pans. So I actually wanted to play drums. And then a friend of mine was studying guitar. You know, it was, I was 10 years old. And he, he told me I just come to, my, to see a lesson. And I went to see a lesson. Then I started to study guitar. Um, I remember specifically that I wasn't really impressed by it or anything. I remember I, I didn't even like to practice. To, to, you know, it wasn't anything that hit me. But then my brother, my big brother, started to play bass. And he started to bring kind of sophisticated music home, like some jazz and some other stuff. And he had a band, you know, like a you know, like high school band with a few friends. And he, the guy that was in his band, the singer songwriter in his band, was a better guitar player. So he used to come to our house and play Beatles songs and Israeli songs. So once he came over and started playing those songs, I was like, okay, I can hang with that, you know. All right. And yeah. then once my dad bought me this little pickup that I put on my nylon string guitar, once I plugged it into an amp, then I start to make noise. Then I'm like, okay, now I can predict. I feel the power. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. Oh, that's a good story. Yeah. Thanks. So, so um, you know, I was looking at uh, some videos, you know, uh -huh. trying to uh, shape, shape some questions for you that uh, make sense. But sure. you're you're very um, uh, very uh, eclectic, but at the same time very modern uh, sort of musician, mm -hmm. and uh, you uh, have a lot of gear, you know. Uh, and I don't think it's uh, because you're a gear freak. I think you need these things to uh, create the sound that you're chasing. So uh, I hope I'm right in that assumption, because uh -huh. it seems like uh, you wouldn't own something unless you could use it uh, in a practical way, wouldn't you say? Uh, absolutely, 100%. You know, I don't have a lot of gear when I compare it to people in my age and in my level that do what I do. Mm -hmm. I have I have enough gear to do what I need to do. I don't keep anything that I don't use. Right. Like there is things that I use once a year, but I keep them because I know I'll use them once a year or twice a year. But I don't, I'm not one of those guys that collect guitars and amps. I'm not into that. I'm, I like to, whatever I have, I like to really use all the time. Good. So, That's good. Yeah. yeah I, I figured that just from the way you play, you know, you, you don't have to tell me that. I can just watch a person and uh, the language of music takes over and uh, I use my intuition and then pretty soon I'm learning about a person by the way they play. And I assume that that yeah. uh, you're more into having something that's uh, going to inspire you to play music, not just something you can stare at and say, hey, look how valuable this guitar is. Isn't it great? Yeah, plus, you know, it's it's a pain in the ass to have a lot of gear. Like, I do have gear, you know, don't get me wrong, but it's a pain in the ass because you have to maintain it, and you also have to make sure you get used to something. Like, so you get used to a guitar, and you get used to get the tone you want out of it and how to interact and stuff. And, you know, if you have a new guitar every other week, you know, you don't get yeah. anything going with it. Like when I, have a, when I have a new guitar, it takes me about a year to figure it out, you know. Right. So it's like a process and it's not it's not such a enjoyable process either because you're kind of struggling with it, whether it's a guitar or an amp till you find right. where you like it. So I don't see any reason to have a lot of gear. <laughs> You know? I, I notice that you uh, have uh, some nice uh, Fender Custom Shop Stratocasters. 
Yeah. Uh, is that your main uh, main go-to type of guitar? Yeah, either a Strat or a Tele. I, I also play a Gre uh, Les Paul, and I play a Gretsch, and I have some other guitars. But basically, a Strat and a Tele are my go-to. Yeah. Have you had them uh, make any custom just for you? Like just your yeah, yeah. All the, everything that I have, all actually almost everything that I have was made for me. The first two was this '68 uh, custom shop that they made for me. It was kind of for I just requested a certain things. Okay. Like um, at the time, um, I I wanted a late '60s guitar that had it. It was just pretty straightforward, but it was just like they were, they made this model that had an ash body, and I wanted rosewood and all of it. It was just very mild modification. It's pretty much the same as a. I just wanted to be as vintage as possible, so they made me two that I really like, and I played forever. One of them I sold recently to a friend. And the other one I still have. But since then, I've been getting those uh, master build guitars from Joan Cruz. Okay. He's, like a, he's, he's a friend of mine, and he's, he's probably like the most noticeable like uh, master sure. builder in, in Fender. He's the, no longer working there, unfortunately. But he made me three guitars that are absolutely fantastic. So. Well, there you go. But it's not, there's nothing... I basically ask for as vintage as possible, and then I do the tweaks, you know, because it's nothing really, uh, you know. I just, you know, as long as the neck's a certain way and it's a certain weight, maybe. And, sure. But, but you know, that's, that's important. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to pick it up and go. All right, back back home here. I know exactly what to expect out of this one. Yeah. yeah. No mystery. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But there's a couple other guitars, uh, 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 Music Man Van Halen. Oh, I love that thing. Oh, my God. It's great. <laughs> First of all, I love Music Man guitars. I love, love, love Music Man guitars. Okay. Always, well, you've got you know, one at least. Well, you know, if I would ever to figure out something with a company when they're going to make some signature model or something with me that will work for me, I'm not going to hesitate to never play Fender again and just play it because I love those guitars. They're built so well and they're comfortable and they sound really great. You go back so to them, yeah. That, that guitar I have is, is one of an earlier Van Halen model that I brought with me from Israel when I moved here. So that's the only guitar that, I, that, I'm, that left that I have from really the 90s, you know? And it's such a great guitar and sometimes i go like oh i don't play it enough maybe i'll sell and then i play it and i was like yeah, no way <laughs> so uh, that's great <laughs> it's like uh your buddy in a way <laughs> yeah. so yeah i see they have a, a collins acoustic guitar callings yeah, you know yeah, um, sure. what is a triple o uh, 2h what can you describe it's that a, guitar it's, a, it's, a, it's a 12 front guitar oh a shorter a shorter scale guitar yeah yeah. It's not shorter scale. The, the body goes to the 12th fret instead of the 14th fret, so the body is bigger. Oh, so it's a bigger sound. Yeah, it's a different sound. It's really beautiful, especially for finger picking. It's gorgeous. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and you've got some nylon string acoustics by Yamaha. Well, you got a Yamaha nylon string. You got a Yamaha steel string. I'm just looking well, at this. I, yeah, I have those. Those are like. Um, those silent guitar, I use them a bunch on tours and stuff. Are, are they the ones that have the effects built inside the middle of them that they're making? You know, 
Yeah, but that's not it. They have effect and, and they have reverb in them, but those guitars don't have body. They're silent guitars, so they just look like. Just oh, okay. Shape. Oh, so yeah, yeah don't, don't have a f any feedback with a guitar like that. Oh, no, nothing. They sound great. Oh, they okay. Yeah, I love this. So there's a there's a company here that I'm not that familiar with, Two Rock, who make amplifiers, yeah. right? You you seem to like their equipment. Talk a little bit yeah, about. I mean, the, yeah, I've been using Two Rock since pretty much almost since they started. 1999, 2000. Well, they they started well they started around 2000. I probably started using them in 2005. Okay. You know. Okay. Somebody turned me on to them and hooked me up with them. They they just make the best amps. It's pretty uh, pretty simple. <laughs> that's incredible. Well, that's the reason why I want to ask you about them. I'm I'm, I'm interested in myself because I like uh, I like the way they look, and uh, it looks like they make models that aren't very heavy, which is uh, you know attractive to me because I don't like carrying heavy equipment. I don't know. Those things are pretty heavy, from what I know. But I don't know what <laughs> models you're talking about. You mean well, they make some smaller ones that have smaller oh, that's heads. Not yeah, 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 stuff like that, you know. Yeah, you're just yeah. gigging little gigs around, uh, you know, your hometown, and what, you don't, you don't want to carry sure. around uh, Marshall quad boxes and all that sure. sort of stuff. But you do sure. like a Plexi. I see you got a Plexi, uh, yeah, fifty watt and hundred watt. Yeah, yeah. Are those reissues or originals? No, no, originals. Ah, well, I used to have a Plexi, a fifty watt amp that was probably my favorite amp of all time, Marshall Plexi. Yeah, of course, those are great. From the like, I think it was early seventies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What what's on the uh what's on the horizon for you? I mean, we have this COVID thing going now and uh yeah. uh you've got a um a, a 10-week course. Could you talk a little bit about that where you have PDF files and video instruction and is that something that you're still doing? What is that? What are you talking about? Uh, oh, like, like a 10-week a ten week jam course or something like that online. Are you talking about MI, the thing that says MI? I don't know what you call it. I just kind of like... It yeah, I think what you meant is it's... I, I did this course for MI, Music Institution in LA. Okay, okay. But they stopped doing it. It was kind of a bummer because it was really great. It was a great course, but it stopped. Talk, so talk, a, talk a little bit about that. Uh, what what went what went down? I mean, how was how are they well, conducting that? I don't know what that? went down. I I uh, they hired me to go there because I've I've been doing stuff for them for years, like master classes and teaching there here and there when I'm in LA. So I went there um, and I did like a a course, you know, like it was about I don't know maybe we filmed everything in like two days or something. It was like oh okay. It was uh, maybe eleven, maybe ten or eleven or twelve lessons, you know, of, of of information that you can practice for a really long time. So then the idea was there, whoever joined those courses, you know, get the courses, and every week there's a, it's almost like a lesson with me going over the course, and then okay, sure. So we've done it for a couple of semesters, for a couple of maybe two or three of those uh, quarters, you know, semesters. But then it didn't do so well. I don't know. The online thing wasn't uh, strong enough, so they oh. stopped it. Oh, sorry to hear that. Sounds like a a, a wonderful way to, uh, you know, communicate with somebody who's probably quite busy a lot of the time and unable to give lessons. Are you doing any kind of educational thing at the moment? Uh, 
You know? uh, well, I always teach. I always teach, but it, it always ups and down. But when the COVID thing hit, the first month, three months, I was, you know, everybody was home, so I was teaching a lot on Skype and stuff. But uh-huh. in the last, since in the maybe in the last two months, it went back to normal, which is like here and there, nothing, you know, major. Okay, but you you do like uh, gravitate to that kind of uh, activity. Uh, you find it, uh, you know, rewarding, gratifying to share information with other people, and uh, yeah, no, I, I like share to share information, especially when somebody's actually already kind of playing, and then you can really see that you're helping them. That's pretty cool. Okay, uh, you know, yeah, but uh, but most of the people that take lessons with me, they take lessons with me because of who I am. So it's mostly like one or two lessons, like you know, people really from all over the world, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, more of my uh, clientele, you can say. <laughs> well, let, let's look at it this way. You do have a unique style of playing, right? And people, uh, you know, who want to uh, try to emulate you or try to at least know how you're thinking, uh, where else could they go? They got to go to you. So so uh, let's talk. Well, I'm, one, I'm one guy. There's plenty of other guys that, you know, but, uh, <laughs> I didn't invent this shit. Yeah, well, I think you invented a certain way to put it together, put it that way. take on uh, Little Wing by Hendrix. This is the Believe Podcast. I'm John Hoisenstrom, your host. This is The Guitar Life. And if you're enjoying our show, please subscribe. But uh, let's, yeah. talk, let's talk about that a little bit. So let's say you're in a band situation and, uh, you know, they got some sort of funky groove going and uh, it's staying on one chord, you know, and uh, Oz Noise got to come up with something. You got to like start doing something. Uh, it's all intuition at this point. Uh, what do you draw on? You know how how does how does a guy like you think? Uh, 
you know, usually well, here, here's, the most, here's the most important thing. Okay. The most important thing is you have to understand what the song is, meaning what the song or the style or the direction of the song is, meaning if it's like a jazz thing or more like a fusion thing where you can really go wild and they want you to do your thing, then I can just do what I do. I can just go for whatever I go for when I play with my own band, you know, which is pretty much anything is, it's open to everything. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there's a groove, there's a, a harmony, and then I just go for whatever I hear at the moment. Um, if it's a so if it's a shorter solo in a certain style, then I would be more conservative and play within that style. If it's a song mm -hmm. that has a solo in it, so you have to kind of play to the song. Meaning, you yeah, always have to play to the song anyhow. But if it's a song, then you may want to ask the you know whoever you're working with, you know how what they hear or how far they want to take it because. You don't want to be in a situation where, like, you know, you're playing with a funky meters and you started to play all this jazz out jazz stuff. You know, that's not going to work. There you go. Or you don't want to be in a situation when somebody gives you, uh, I don't know, some one, four, five country songs and you take it really out. You know, you have to kind of play to the situation. So that's the most important thing to me. Um, after that, once you figure that out, then... I draw from whatever I know, you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, well, you're respecting tradition is what you're saying. Like if it's a... If, it's if a, I need to, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely. what you're saying. If I need to, yes, because otherwise, unless somebody goes like, no, I want you to do the, the weird thing that you do on top of that. Then, <laughs> which happened before, it's just... Uh, um, so you can't, sometimes you can't guess, you have to ask, you know, I did a session for somebody and he sent me this thing and I sent him back a solo and, I, and it, it was totally straight up solo and I go like, no, 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 I want you to do your thing. I don't want you to sound like Clapton or Santana or something like that. <laughs> so, you know, so, but, but you know, the track itself didn't lead me to believe that that's what he wanted. Right. You know? Did you, so you did another uh, one? Did you do another one that he liked that was yeah, uh, more yeah, adventurous? Yeah. More adventurous, yeah. 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 You know, so I it's, the same, it's the same with live. You know, when you play live, it's kind of the same thing. You kind of have to read the situation sometimes. Okay. Oh, so there, it's not just a, a reckless abandon. You're not just, uh, you know, throwing uh, cast your fate to the wind type. You're actually drawing on experience and. You probably had to study people within each style. Like, say, if you're doing blues, you listen to a lot of blues players just to get a. Well, you try, you yeah. Know. You know, I can tell you one thing interesting. It's like um, I I've been playing like uh, Warren Haynes is a friend of mine, and they every year they play at the Beacon. They do those two nights at the Beacon and New Year's Eve and all that stuff. Sure. So I live close by, so I always go and hang out, and I always sit in and play with them. And I've been doing it for years, and it's always fun. But in his situation, when I sit in, I can only stretch it so much. Like, I don't want to take <laughs> too far out because his audience is like, yeah. you don't want to go too far out with it. So, you know, I do. I, I try to stay in the middle and maybe bend it a little bit. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's great to hear somebody talk about having that... Uh you know, le leverage or uh, that uh, creative license to, 
to be able to do that and at the same time at least respect what's going on and not, uh, you know, not go crazy and ruin the, spoil the mood, let's say. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if it would spoil the mood as much as it would be. Some people <laughs> wouldn't digest it as well. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah, spoiling dinner, same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you should... Uh, you're you're making me remember a student that I had. You know, I was experimenting with, uh, you know, diminished scales, and he wanted me to teach him uh, what I was doing. I said, "Well, yeah, I use this in jazz. I play these little diminished scales, and I have this like that." And so he started working on them, right? And then there was this blues uh, contest at the guitar center, you know, that they were having annually. You know, looking for yeah. the great blues guitar players, right? So I said, oh, what the heck? It's only a few minutes from my house. I'll uh, I'll join that competition, and hey, maybe I can win some equipment. Who knows, you know, right? And uh, this kid, this student was there, and he, you know, I didn't know that, but he, uh, you know, signed up for it as well. So I'm in the audience, and he starts playing, and he starts playing all of these diminished scales that I was teaching him, and I'm I'm going I'm I'm going oh no no you're not please don't do that. <laughs> you're supposed that, to be that can happen for sure <laughs> you're supposed to be playing some blues here man this isn't a you know it's not time to show people your jazz diminished scale skills but you know what i'm talking about sure. yeah yeah wrong place wrong place wrong uh, uh approach to the music for sure yeah so uh you know you know jimmy haslip who's a great uh, ambassador to uh music and jazz and all that right and uh you, uh, he's the one that hooked us up. Uh, who, yeah. are you, who are you working with a lot of the time uh, on the bass? Now, do you have a regular, you know, group of guys that you're always gigging with, or is that changing constantly? No, it's the same guys. Um, well, when I play in New York, it's um, it's it's been almost since the beginning Willie and James Genus. Um, John Petitucci play with me some, but it's mostly uh, Will or James. There's, there was here and there. There's another guy, but it's mostly those guys. Uh -huh. When I tour, it's a different situation. So um, sometimes I tour with Will, but it, that's mostly in Asia with this stuff, right? you know, because Will is busy. James, I've done a bunch of tours with. But a lot of the tours that I've done the last couple of years has been with Jimmy, with Haslam. Okay. So I would say that after those guys, Jimmy is pretty much Jimmy is pretty much my main bass player for touring. It's been my main bass player for touring for I don't know maybe five years now. So yeah, he's a great amalgamation of, of a you know a lot of music behind that guy. When he when he plays, he's there with everything, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus, you know, reading about this uh, Boogalooga, that's a new album that you're doing, huh? I think you've done well. It it's out or it came out a year and a half ago already. Right. So it's yeah. old news to you now, or can we still say that that's something you'd like people to go out and... No, no, absolutely. Well, the, the, the latest news is the second half of it is coming out in November. It's, gonna be, it's called Snapdragon. It's a new album. And it's the second part of that al of the Boogaloogaloo album. The Boogaloogaloo album I recorded... And I recorded too much music, so I split it into two records. And then over the time, I recorded some more. So it's kind of like the 
let's say the volume two of this of the last album and all the people that like the first uh, volume are going to like the second volume i guess <laughs> yes and the people that didn't like the first volume will love the second volume. <laughs> <laughs> what a salesman <laughs> yeah exactly. I, bet, I better check out the second one first and then listen to the <laughs> yeah well no it's, it's kind of it comes from the same place you know some some of it was recorded on the same sessions you know it was supposed yeah. to be released already in may but this whole thing went down so look, look look at the people though that you have on it i mean you got vinnie caliuda you got dave weckl i mean yeah. will lee i mean reggie washington you got all these guys i mean you got the the cream of uh well, Reggie Washington doesn't play on that album, but well, yeah, but... Uh, how is his name found here? He's just one of the guys that you work with. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I must have my notes all uh, back to front. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, but it's a good record. You know, I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, this new one is actually wilder, you know. It's like a little more jazzy and there's a lot... There's more. There's there's even more playing, like it was kind of... I let it all go. I kind of just went for it 100%. Sometimes when you do a record, you keep it a little uh, under control. Yeah, yeah. You constraint. Yeah, but you, on this one, I just went all the way. Maybe out. this is maybe this is the one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to hear it. So uh, when do you, when uh, you do you will shortly? When is okay? So within the next month or so, it's coming out. Well, it, it comes out in November, but I, I'm pretty sure that maybe in next month they're going to start pushing it. This might be a track out that you can download and video. And all. So, so just to, to take advantage of uh, the uh, podcast, say what the uh, title of the album is going to be again, and we'll make sure everybody uh, knows about it. Oh, Snapdragon! Snapdragon! Yeah, and it's coming out November fifth. Okay. 2020. Great. The year that would never forget. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, the COVID thing will end the minute the record comes out. How does that sound for a dramatic? It sounds uh, great, but I already had like tours booked through the whole, you know, end of the, you know, like oh, fall know. to the end of the year, but it's all gone. <laughs> every every guitarist, every musician I've spoken with has the same dilemma. Uh, Carl Verheyen had the European tours uh, canceled. Yeah, uh, Pierre Bensouzan, all of his uh, tours were canceled. Everybody's, uh, you know, we're all in yeah, dire straits. Cool. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. So, uh, touring. Let's talk about that a little bit. I don't want to keep you, unless you have some place you got to go, you can tell me to get lost. But uh, uh, touring, like when you do a tour, you you have some structure, you have some song structure, and a great deal of uh, you know room room for uh, invention and room for improvisation, right? Um, uh -huh. Does does it ever happen where like uh, you become a victim of your own cliches? Like what I mean by that is you had a great show the night before or a couple nights ago, you come back um, on another uh, occasion. And you go, oh, God, we were so good the other night. Let's see if we can do that again. That kind of foils the spontaneity, right? You know, awesome. Well, you mean that you have a good night and then a bad night. Absolutely, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but you can contribute that to trying to be like uh, you were a few nights ago in that uh, you, you tried to become a victim of your own cliches, I guess, is what I'm trying well, to Well, the, the, the thing is, what happens from my experience with tours is... The tour starts, yeah, let's say you have a month tour. So you play a lot. Like, let's say in a month, you might play 
I don't know, 20 shows in a month or more sometimes, you know? So let's say, so the first week, the first show or two or three, it's kind of exciting, but you kind of settle into what this is going to be this time, you know? Mm-hmm. Because you may you have a certain song uh, uh, list, and then you kind of figure that out, and then everybody kind of find their own way, because maybe there's one or two new songs, da, da, da. Once that comes together, then you have this, like, it kind of, you, it goes up, you have like a great kind of uphill where it's really slamming, and then suddenly it hits a peak, and then it suddenly goes... <laughs> Because right. you just played everything you kind of you know played out for a while, yeah, yeah. So then it kind of goes down, and you look for new things, but then it comes back up, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's just like a little wave when it goes up and down and up and down, and on those up and downs, you just find new things, you know. Um, it's not necessarily you play uh, like new licks or anything. It's just like different approaches for the song and stuff like that. So it's interesting, you know. I and think sometimes it's just like you just play and whatever happens, happens. <laughs> I think Miles Davis would have loved you because <laughs> he used to say things like, after six months, that's it. I get another band. You know, it's like. Uh, I would have played. I would have loved. I think I would have been like the perfect guitar player for Miles. No, absolutely. That's that's exactly what I'm thinking. Uh be- because uh, yeah, you're you're uh, you're a Hendrix, you're a blues guy, you're a jazz guy, you're a funk guy, you're a soul. I mean, you're every you're everything. You're uh, an amalgamation of different types of music, and you got a modern, uh, you know, uh, sound. You know, you're playing. You're not playing an old, fat jazz guitar with heavy flat wound strings. You're using a, you know, modern, uh, you know, rock instrument basically when you're playing strats yeah. and Les Pauls and that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. But uh, can you see it from Miles' standpoint where, you know, after he does these tours where they're playing all this great creative music and in six months he goes, that's it, I'm bored uh, with what we've been doing. I need a, a whole other set of guys. I, who- totally, I totally understand it, 100%. I, I completely <laughs> get it. Yeah. Wow. It's, I totally understand it. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, so- see, you're, you're a person that plays through from inspiration it's not uh you haven't got your show planned out like you're uh, you know you're like you're reading a book you know you're it, everything is uh, based on inspiration and intuition and a creativity. lot of it is to improvise like the, even within improvisation you know you have the songs that you played are the same yeah and you have certain structure to the songs but within that there's improvisation so yeah uh you know there's are there are certain bands or situation where there, that are more improvised than what I do, but it's improvised enough where you have plenty of space to go places, and then you get tired of it after a while, even if you play with the greatest players in the world. It, it does end up being the same after yeah. a year, you know, or whatever. Isn't that amazing? It's yeah. incredible how the, how the mind uh, can uh, run out of contentment and become dissatisfied dissatisfied you know, but you know what the yeah. good thing about it is you it's a comfort it's also when you play with those guys it's also a comfort zone so you know okay i'm with these guys i know it's gonna be great <laughs> or you get another band sometimes it'll take you a month to just get it together you know you're over there having a soda and you say to the guy you play good tonight i'm just gonna sit over here and just play a couple of chords <laughs> yeah. it's not even about that it's it's just like Things kind of gel in a different way with different people, you know. Right. Well, that was what I'm. 
the reference I was trying to make to all these great players that you work with, they're all uh, an inspiration to for you to play differently with each guy. And it, it it's like that you're it's a ping pong. Uh, you know, you're you're bouncing off of the your ideas with different people. Sure, so sure. Yeah, that's why. Th- that's the beauty of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything I haven't um, asked you about that you might have wanted to talk about today? Uh, um, how am I doing so far? <laughs> so far, you're pretty good. I don't. I can't think of anything right now. Yeah. Well, this this whole this whole thing, the fascination, of course, is you coming overseas and settling in New York. And trying to make a name for yourself, uh, that takes an incredible amount of determination. And uh, maybe you were so inspired by music that you didn't even think like that. Maybe you just were thinking, oh, geez, I love the guitar so much. I'm going to sleep in this cardboard box and uh, hopefully tomorrow I'll have a gig. I mean, the things that you got to go through in order to become a pro, uh, you, I think you know what I'm talking about. I can, talk, I can say a couple of things about it. It's a, it's a super heavy thing decision to move your whole life to a different country and a different culture. It doesn't get heavier than that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I would have never able to do it now. But when you're in your early twenties, it's not a, it's not a problem because you don't, you don't, you have the whole, uh, you're so open to everything. You know, it's like your whole life is still ahead of you. So it's much easier to do that and you can handle situations that are not maybe super comfortable you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. um it's not that it's easy in any way but it's easier to do it when you're young than when you're older you know what i mean like yeah i'm in my 40s now i would never ever have the balls to do something like that now never so it's um I i think that's why you see a lot of people do those moves. You don't see a lot of people do those moves when they're later in life, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then whoever survives, it survives it. Whoever doesn't, doesn't. And it's not even about survival. It's just like everybody at the end find his space, you know, his place where he needs to be to make either music or art or whatever they need to make. So some people, New York is the right place. Some people, LA is the right place. Some people, it's... I don't know, Israel, wherever, it doesn't really matter, you know, at some okay. point, it's, it's at some point, it's not even about the music anymore, it becomes like, where, how do you want to live your life, and where do you want to live them, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, during all that time, uh, when you were in, uh, you know, uh, an inspirational, like, period, you know, where you have these, you, you, you're going on pure inspiration to become great at what you do, can you remember uh, how long you were practicing at times or a period of weeks, a period of months where you're putting in 10 hours, 12, 15 hours a day? I mean, what happened? I remember when I was living in Israel, there was a period where I would play like, I don't, I can, I, I, I don't know if I can count the hours, but I would play all day, like from the morning, probably like eight hours a day. But right. it was when I was a teenager, you know, mm-hmm. and then, at some point you start to get busier, so you still practice, but maybe not as many hours. And then when I moved here, I was still practicing, but you know, as you get older, you practice less. Like you do, it's not that I don't have interest in it, it's just like the way your life changes, so it's harder to stay mm-hmm. focused and to practice for long periods. But I still try to study and practice as much as I can. But I think the young, earlier years, the younger years, is when you really spend all the 
time and really get like the chunk, of the, the basic chunk of it. Okay. In. And, and after that, it's more, sometimes, you know, it's about thinking also. Yeah, that's Oz Noy just ripping it up on the guitar. It's called Just Groove With Me. I think he had uh, Dave Weckl on the drums and Michael Rhodes on bass. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe. This is a Believe podcast presentation. I'm John Hoisenstam, the host, and this is The Guitar Life. Yeah, so... Well, who's a, who's a uh, current... Uh, musician that you like to listen to have you got music that you like to listen to that you really uh you know enjoy like at the moment artists i listen to so much stuff and it's such a variety of things i can't like like now because julian brain died and to me it was like the greatest guitar player ever lived so i listened to julian brain now last couple of days but i don't know before that i don't remember what i listened to but i can listen to everything from Indian music to pop. I really love pop to singer songwriters to jazz. It's just I don't know. Um, okay, but if I look, if I let's say if I look at my, I still actually buy records or like download or buy CDs. So if I look at what I got, I got some flamenco stuff that I don't know. I saw Chick talking about Chikoria talking about something. So I got those to listen to. I have some Lou Donaldson records that when the time that he was playing this boogaloo stuff, I got those. Uh, some Bach partitas. 
Thelonious Monk. I got some Katy Perry, which I love. I got the latest, I don't know, Near Felder's good friend of mine, great guitar player. I got his stuff. I got like an old Mike Stern record. I got a couple of old Miles Davis records, some more Bach, some more classical guitar. I don't know. Uh, Wait, Willie Nelson answer. record. You know what I mean? So Yeah, it's cool. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was great that you just did that because people are probably curious, you know, about yeah. influences. But it was it was great that you mentioned Julian Bream. Uh, yeah, Larry Ferrara is a classical guitar player I interviewed a few weeks ago in the San Francisco area, and, and he was an inspiration. So Julian Bream, uh, yeah, he was a, a you know, he's kind of another type of uh, Segovia legend of the classical guitar. Very beautiful music came out of that guy. Yeah, well, that's great. Yeah. Hey, this has been really great talking to you. I really appreciate your time. Uh and I'm sure people are going to enjoy listening to what you have to say about things. Have right. you done uh, much podcasting uh, before, like interviews yeah, before? Yeah, yeah. I've done a lot of that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're trying, to wipe, you're trying to wipe me off the map here, huh? No, no, no. I, I was, well, you know, a podcast, maybe I've done like, I don't know, four or five of them. I don't yeah. Know. See, I get to go back and I can... Uh, you know, find little tidbits of your music that I like, and I can drop them in here and there. To, sure, sure, yeah, absolutely. yeah, and uh, and then you got to you got to talk about your your album that's coming out. That's important. My whole sure. uh, my whole objective uh, here is to uh, you know give musicians a chance to like tell people uh, that they're still alive. Uh, <laughs> awesome. And the COVID the COVID thing hasn't you know held me down. I'm still you know <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> Still gone, yeah. Well, good luck, because I want to wrap it up, I guess. Good yeah. luck with everything in the future, and let's stay in touch, and occasionally I can mention some things about what you're doing on my show. Yeah. And sure. uh, then again, uh, it's been great talking to you. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Good luck with everything. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks. John Hoysenstamp, you've been listening to The Guitar Life. Hope you enjoy the show. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. 
Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.